So this morning, as you can see from the uh, graphic behind me, we're starting a new sermon series. So for the next five weeks, we're going to be learning about gospel and government, the, the intersection between our faith in Christ and politics and government. And um, the, the best place to start, obviously, is, is a, um, an article by a British neuroscientist about why you can't tickle yourself. <clears throat> so read this article this week uh, by a, a woman who specializes in research on this kind of question. And um, she says, you know, you can't tickle yourself because your brain is just too good. It's too quick at figuring stuff out. Um, your body responds with this uh, tickling thing when it's surprised, caught off guard. And uh, you can't catch yourself off guard because your brain knows what your hand is doing. Your brain knows that you're holding that feather and trying to tickle the bottom of your own foot. You can't tickle yourself. You need somebody else to do it for you. So what does tickling have to do with the grace of God? Today we'll talk about God's grace and how it shapes the way we think about politics and government. And um, grace is is this reality that we need God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. There are two sayings of Jesus that we're going to hear this morning, one from Matthew's gospel and the other from John's gospel. Both use political language. You'll be able to hear words that, that if you lived in the ancient world would have struck you as, yeah, he's, that's, that's politics, that's government. And in both of these sayings of Jesus, we will hear this truth about God's grace. We need God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. So let's listen as Lauren reads for us from God's Word today. The scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 6 and John chapter 18. From Matthew 6. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And from John 18, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Let's take a moment and continue that thought. Uh, every week when we hear the scripture reading read, we, we say thanks be to God. Let's continue telling him thanks. Our Father, we do give thanks to you because you haven't left us to ourselves to figure out reality or to figure out truth or to invent who you might be. Instead, you have spoken and you have come into our world first with language that could be understood and translated so it can be known in every place. And then you came again into our world in human flesh and blood through Jesus. So today we give thanks to you that you reach out to us and make yourself known in the spoken word and in the living word, Jesus Christ. Give us ears to hear and hearts to receive all that he is for us today. We pray in his name. Amen. 
Michael Rinder got in trouble this week. Maybe you read about it. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you don't recognize Michael Rinder's name. His stage name is Killer Mike. He's a hip-hop artist based here in Atlanta, also uh, very uh, active in politics. Killer Mike met with Governor Kemp this week, and uh, this photo actually is taken from an article that reported how much criticism Killer Mike experienced, because uh, these are two men who are not known for coming from the same part of the political spectrum. And uh, one is known for being a progressive activist. The other is known as being a pretty staunch conservative. Killer Mike got a lot of heat for being willing to meet and talk with somebody whose commitments are very different from his own politically. It reminds us how sensitive issues of politics can be in our day. Right, we're simply sitting down to have a conversation with someone who thinks differently than you do can cause other people to be very annoyed with you, angry, irritated. Simply having a conversation. These guys didn't sign anything. They didn't make any agreements. They didn't fund anything. They, they didn't try to settle any issues. They just met to talk. reminds us that politics is a land, it's, it's a minefield, right? It reminds me that you might be very nervous that your pastor's getting ready to talk for five weeks with lots of help from others about gospel and government. You might be nervous because you, you, you're scared of what I might say. You might be nervous that I won't say the right things that I won't say all your favorite things. You, you might be excited. You might be waiting for me to tell all the other people here that they're wrong so that they will know that you are right. I'll make you a promise. I'm not going to try to say what you want to hear. I'm just going to try to say what God said in the Scriptures. That's my calling. I'll do my best. You pray for me. I'm nervous. Not really. Really, yeah, I am. <clears throat> How can both be true at the same time, right? It's, it's, it just is, right? Terribly nervous and, oh, this is my calling. God is with me. Nothing to be scared about. But still, I'm scared. Here's where we start. I mentioned earlier grace. For a believer in Jesus, God's grace has got to be the foundation of our approach to politics and government. There is something so wrong with us and so wrong with our world that even the best of human efforts cannot make it right. God has to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That theme runs throughout the whole of Scripture. It starts in Genesis chapter 1. God has to make oxygen so that Adam and Eve have something to breathe. God has to make a planet so that human beings have a place to live. If God doesn't do those things, which we cannot do for ourselves, there is no possibility of life. Once we depart from him and turn our backs from him and decide that we can run the world better than he can, very, you know, thank you very much, then there's only one way for us to be drawn back to him in right relationship. 
And he finds a way to make that happen. He has to do what we cannot do for ourselves, whether it's as creatures or as rebels. God has to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. That's the foundation of our view on everything, including politics and government. And in these two passages where Jesus speaks using political language, notice that he has that understanding of grace. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. What does he teach us to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Kingdom. You're the king. We don't live in the Roman kingdom, the Roman empire. We live under your kingdom. You're the king. It isn't Caesar's will that should be done everywhere on earth as it is in heaven. It is your will, Father. And notice that this comes in the context of prayer. Your will won't be done on this earth because of our efforts. We have to ask you, Father, to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Jesus doesn't pull them aside and say, let's have a political seminar. He doesn't say, let's hold a refer referendum. Let's organize a party. He says, if the world's going to be the way God wants it to be, we have to ask him to act and do what we cannot do. Father, Show us your grace. Do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It's the whole concept of prayer. Then in John 18, verse 38, Jesus is being tried by the Roman governor, Pilate. And Pilate has asked him, are you the king of the Jews? If you're running around claiming to be a king, then I, I can't let that stand because that's treason against the rightful ruler the emperor in Rome. So, straight up, I'm going to ask you, are you the king of the Jews? And then Pilate asks him another question, what have you done? And Jesus answers, my kingdom is not of this world. I'm a king. I have a kingdom. It's not of this world. Now, temptation is to hear that as Jesus saying, Never, don't worry, Pilate. You rule here on earth. You and your emperor, I rule out there in heaven somewhere. My rule will never touch down here. Uh, we live, we, you know, I'm a spiritual guy. You're an earthly guy. My, my kingdom, my interest is purely spiritual and heavenly, so I am no threat to anything here happening on this planet. Don't worry. But Jesus is not saying that. That is not what this language means. When he says, my kingdom is not of this world, from this world, he's saying, my authority to rule as king did not come from any human being. God in heaven gave me authority to be king over all people in all times and in all places. So, Pilate, I am your king. Pilate, I am the king of the Roman emperor. different kind of king than you're used to. It's not spiritual language. It is political language. But when is Jesus speaking it? He's speaking it just hours before he is going to be condemned to death. Now, if human effort alone could accomplish the redemption of the world, then Jesus should have pulled Pilate aside and said, listen, buddy, I'll make you a deal. 
if you'll get the politics right, I will stop claiming to be a king, and you go make sure that redemption happens in the world, and I'll gladly step aside because you've got what it takes. I see that spark in your eye, pilot. You got something special. Everybody ought to vote for you in the next election. Jesus doesn't do that. Why? The world cannot be redeemed through the government of Rome. It can't be redeemed through the government of any nation. It cannot be redeemed through human efforts alone. Jesus has to lay down his life to bring us back to God. He has to take his life up again through resurrection glory to heal what is wrong with this world. There is something so broken and wrong about Pilate that he cannot fix the world. There's something so broken and wrong about every human leader. Only Jesus can fix what is wrong with the world. We need Jesus to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That grace foundation shapes how we think about everything, including politics and government. Now, on that foundation, let's build three core commitments how Christians think about politics and government. The first is this. Our gracious God is our king. We give our allegiance to him and not to any other. Now, if you're into this sort of thing, you know, like um, historical fiction or, or fantasy that's set in, in kind of a medieval era, then, then you're, you're accustomed to hearing people uh, use the word liege. This is my liege lord, right? Well, the, the English word allegiance is built around that older word liege. What does liege mean? It, it means an unconditional bond between a ruler and the ruled. It means when I say my allegiance is given to you, it means I will go wherever you lead me and ask no questions. I will do whatever you ask of me and never refuse. I will never put my judgment in between what you require of me and what I actually do. Unconditional allegiance. Christians can give that kind of allegiance only to one person, our Father in heaven, His Son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Our God deserves that kind of allegiance. We cannot give that sort of unconditional loyalty to any political leader or party or policy. We can give our support and backing to political leaders and parties and policies. But beware anybody who comes to you asking for their unconditional commitment. And you're getting ready to hear a lot of it in the coming weeks, right? So many of the messages you're about to hear will imply everything about this person is just as it ought to be. If you have any criticism of this candidate, then you are a traitor to the cause, because everything about this person is spot on. You can't raise any criticism. Every policy of this party is perfect. Every priority of this movement and this cause is just as it ought to be. No, 
That's not true. There is something terribly wrong with us and with our world. That means there's going to be something terribly wrong with every candidate. There's going to be something totally wrong with, with every policy, some blind spot. And even if it's a very wise policy, there, it might be implemented in an unwise way. So we never give our unconditional support to any human effort. We don't give our unconditional support to any leader or party or policy because we've already given that away. We gave it to our God. God is doing something. He is protecting us from heartbreak. When you give your unconditional allegiance and commitment to any human leader or effort, it's idolatry, and every idol will disappoint you. Everybody will make a mistake. Everybody has a skeleton in their closet. Something will come out. Something will go wrong. And if you've put all your trust there, you will be heartbroken. God doesn't want, to set us, want us to set ourselves up for that kind of heartbreak. He wants to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. He wants to set us free from idolatry, from relying on an idol that is certain to let us down. So, we're free to give support and backing to lots of human political efforts. But we can't give our allegiance, our unconditional loyalty to anyone except our God. That's the foundation. Flows out of our convictions about God's grace. Here's a second core commitment. Our allegiance to this God, this King, this Savior means that some forms of political thought and speech or action are simply not available to us. Listen to, to Jesus again in John chapter 18, verse 36. He said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting so that I wouldn't be arrested and handed over to my accusers. My servants would have weapons in their hands right now, and they would be storming your palace, and they might all go down in a big bloodbath, but if I were like any other human king, then there would be an approach available to me that I'm not taking. Violence, when at all costs, that would be an available, available approach. But I'm not that kind of king. I'm not leading that kind of effort. You listen to Jesus earlier in John chapter 18. Uh, Roman soldiers have come to arrest him in the dark of night. And uh, Peter pulls out a sword, and he cuts off the ear of one of the people who have come to arrest Jesus. And Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. This is chapter 18, verse 11. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus says, I am the kind of king who would rather die for traitors than to take the life 
of someone else in the name of my cause. Peter, I really am a king. But Peter, that method is not available to us. Violence, the win-at-all-costs mentality, has no place in the kingdom of Christ. Here's another example of a common approach that's not available to us as followers of Jesus. I'll call it demonization. It's when you say to the person who disagrees with your politics, you must be an idiot. You, you are very likely sub-Christian if you don't agree with me about this issue. Maybe even you are subhuman if you don't see things the way that I do. I'm not talking about a fantasy world, right? This is the kind of attitude that we're seeing throughout our society of people who can't have a civil conversation with people who disagree with their politics because there's this automatic assumption that somehow you just became the enemy. You, you, I have demonized you. You're, you're not even worthy of being considered fully human if we can't see eye to eye on these things. Is it really possible for believers in Jesus to pray your will be done and treat people that way? Our Father, may your will be done on earth. And we believe your will is to assume that people who don't think the way we do politically are subhuman. It is not the Father's will for us to think that way. Or treat people that way. We cannot pray that prayer and treat people in this way. There are forms of thought and speech and action that are just not available to us as followers of Jesus. Jesus doesn't want us to be slaves to hatred. He wants to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. He wants to make us a people who would rather lay down our lives than attack or demonize someone else. That sounds like a pretty profound statement, right? Surely you just went too far. Really? Lay down our lives rather than attack or demonize other people? Where are you getting that from? I'm getting it from John 18, 11. Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Peter, I would rather die on a cross than see someone in my name do violence toward another. Jesus is so kind and gracious. He wants to change us so that we are known as being the people who would rather lay down our lives than to attack or demonize another in the name of politics. What freedom we have. What grace from Jesus. And we have to avoid politics completely because <laughs> How could you possibly participate in politics in this world 
without attacking other people, without demonizing them. It just seems like that's the way of the world. If you want to get anything done, you have to compromise and give in and, you know, play by their rules. No, we don't, and here's why. Allegiance to our king means we engage in politics as a common grace gift for the good of all people. Christians should be engaged in politics. No question about it. That will become more clear as we go through the next several weeks. No question about it. But the way we engage it's going to be very different because we see it as something that was given by God for the good of all people. A common grace gift. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10 teaches us to pray, Our Father in heaven, we want your name to be honored on earth as it is in heaven. We want your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want your will to be done. We want the will of the king, your kingdom, come. Your will be done. We want the will of the king to be done on this planet in human life, on earth as it is in heaven. That is the vision that Jesus gives to his followers, the redeemed community, the people of faith, our Father. And yet this vision is meant to be for the benefit of all people. We have a political vision, a ruler, a king, ruling over this earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. And that vision is meant to be for the good of all people, not just the redeemed community, but for all of our neighbors and even for our enemies. How do we know that? Because in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching about prayer. But he's already taught us this in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on evil people and on good people. And he sends the rain on those who are just and those who are unjust. The vision of your Father in heaven is for good things that bless all people. Those who are in the community of faith and those who are not. So pray this way. Our Father in heaven. May your will be done on earth. Father, we want your kingdom to come and your will to be done in a way that is good, not only for us, but for our neighbors. And not only for our neighbors, but even for those who might consider us enemies. Father, this is the grace of your heart. You do for undeserving people what they cannot do for themselves Neither the just nor the unjust can make the rain fall from heaven and give us food to eat. Neither good people nor evil people can make the sun shine. Father, you're constantly doing for human beings what they cannot do for themselves. Now, when God gives a gift in such a way that it blesses all human beings, we call it common grace. He gives undeserved goodness in a way that benefits all people. Those are common grace gifts. That's different from saving grace, where God shows his undeserved goodness 
in a way that benefits all those who are part of his redeemed community of faith. Some of his blessings and benefits and goodness are only available to those who trust Jesus. Now, anybody anywhere can put their trust in Jesus. But God gives other gifts that are good for everyone, whether they have faith in Jesus or not. It's like going to a birthday party. Right? If you got invited to a birthday party, you are not the one having the birthday. Did anybody ever send you an invitation to your own birthday party? Right? Like mom cooks the cake and dad hangs up some streamers and presents are wrapped and invitations were sent out, but nobody invited you because you're in the family. All those things are being done for you. And yet everybody else who comes, even though they're not in the family and it's not their birthday, those good gifts are for them. They get to eat the cake too. They're not in the family and they're not having a birthday. So there's a different kind of gift. There's a different kind of relationship to mom and dad experienced by the birthday boy or the birthday girl. But such is the delight of mom and dad in their child that they, they don't mind if the gifts overflow to everyone. Common grace is like that. Politics and government. And this will become more clear over the next several weeks. It's an example of God's common grace. Well, through saving grace, God gives us peace with himself, and he, he gives us a, the security that we will be pardoned on the great day of judgment, and we will have perfect joy for eternity. That's saving grace. But now as a foretaste of what is yet to come, he is willing as a gift of common grace to let people organize in a way that will bring more peace and justice and joy now in this life. Politics and government are a common grace gift from God. The peace, the justice, the joy that should overflow from this common grace gift should be for the good of all people so that our involvement in politics, our involvement in government as believers in Jesus is an expression of our desire for this common grace gift to overflow for the good of all people so that we may be the children of our Father who is in heaven because he's the one who makes his sun rise for everyone and he's the one who makes his rain fall on everyone. That's common grace. What does that mean for us? Well, one of the implications is this. We celebrate when there's an overlap in the priorities of human government and the priorities of God's kingdom. God doesn't want people to be murdered, so we celebrate when a human government says, you know what, let's make murder illegal. That's a good thing. That, that serves the peace and the joy of all people. That's good. Let's celebrate that overlap. And let's get involved and work as we are able to expand that overlap. When God's will is done, it is good for people. That's why we pray, our Father in heaven, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth. That will be good for us. It will be good for our neighbors. It will be good even for our enemies. 
So we celebrate when there's that overlap between the priorities of human government and the priorities of your kingdom. And we celebrate the opportunity we have to expand that overlap in appropriate ways. Now, in the coming weeks, we'll talk about some ways that aren't appropriate. We already named one, violence. Right? That, that approach to, well, let's, let's expand God's kingdom by the sword. Nope, that option is not available to us. But we do want to see that overlap expand. And how can we do that? Well, you know, as citizens in 21st century democracy, we have lots of ways to participate in that. If we lived in the first century in the Roman Empire, we wouldn't have very many ways to participate. So as we're able, <laughs> we seek to see that overlap expand in a way that will just benefit other Christians, right? No. No, 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 no. This is a common grace gift. Government and politics are common grace gifts. So that that's, that's the place for us to pursue things that would be good for everyone, not just for ourselves. The challenge, of course, is that not all Christians agree on the details of is this an area where that overlap between God's kingdom priorities and our government priorities ought to be pursued, or is this not that kind of area? And, and if so, is, is that overlap best pursued through government or through some other means? We're not all, on, all going to agree on the answer to that question. Yeah, I wish more people would be healthier. That would be good for everyone. Mm, I think government health care ought to do that. No, I think private health care ought to do that. Oh, we agree that it would be good for everyone if there were better health care. Yes. But is this a government issue or not? Well, we may not all agree on that. So there's going to be tension. There are going to be difficulties to be hammered through. Which level of government ought to pursue this? State, federal, local? Well, that's a 21st century North American kind of question. That question doesn't even exist in other countries or in other centuries. We're going to have to wrestle through that. We may not all agree. Hey, some compromises are going to inevitably be necessary. What kind of compromise is acceptable? We may not all agree on that. We agree on this. Our Father gets our allegiance. Jesus gets our allegiance. Nobody else does. When we're doing this right, it should be clear to our neighbors that our involvement in politics and in government is for the good of all people. That should be clear should be clear to our neighbors if our involvement in politics makes our neighbors think that we hate them we are doing something wrong so jimmy it's not my fault they hate my policies so much they hate my policy preferences so much they assume i hate them will you try harder to let them know that you love them for every time they hear you talk about a policy that might upset them, let them hear you talk ten times about your love for them. May it become clear above everything that we are people who belong to Jesus, who would rather lay down our lives than see someone else attacked or belittled or demonized in the name 
of politics. One of my seminary professors taught me a Latin phrase. His name is Jack Collins. I'm going to teach you this phrase, abusus usum non tollet. Abuse does not negate proper use. Politics is a common grace gift from God. It can be abused. There's no doubt about it. But just because it can be abused does not mean it has no proper use. What is the proper use of politics and government? Well, in the Christian life, it's to use it as a gift of common grace. A gift of common grace for the good of all people. Our neighbors, even our enemies. Why? Because we know that Jesus is in the business of doing for people what they cannot do for themselves. Left to ourselves, we will abuse this good gift. God is remaking us into the kind of people who will put his good gifts to their proper use. He does that through gifts of common grace. He does that supremely through gifts of saving grace. So, let's follow him into that together. Over the next few weeks, we'll keep learning. How is it? that we build on this foundation of grace and serve Jesus even as we serve our neighbors through involvement in kingdoms that are all underneath the reign of our gracious King, Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, help us Help us, even in wanting to say what would bring glory and honor to you and good to this flock of whom you have made me one shepherd. I'm certain that I've said some things carelessly. I'm certain that I've said some things that weren't helpful. Maybe I've said some things that would have been helpful for some, but they landed the wrong way with others because I didn't know enough of, of their lives and backgrounds and would have spoken differently had I known more that you are the king and, and you can watch over all of these details. So we ask you to do that and help us together to learn from you. Lord Jesus, thank you for drinking the cup that your father gave you rather than taking up a sword, protecting yourself, and leaving us to perish in our sins. Would you make us a people like yourself? who are ready to lay down our lives for one another, for our neighbors, and for the world. And it's good. We pray in your name. Amen.